right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the overlap with myself, Elias, and Rian. And we've got a lot to talk about on uh, today's pod. We had two derbies, both one in Spain and uh, one in England this past weekend. Um, and that is going to be a large portion of this podcast, but of course we will always touch upon the other league games that happened over the weekend. And uh, I think the, the title's pretty telling, two derbies, two naps, but we'll, we'll totally get into that in, in a couple minutes. But Rion, man, how you been? You, uh, you were up in the, the city for a, a hot sec yesterday. I didn't get to see you, but... You know, I know you're you're gonna be up here sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. I was I was there on Monday, and uh, you know, uh, fingers crossed, I will be I will be there uh, in a couple weeks. We shall see. But um, yeah, it was it was nice. Um, I was really there for like twelve ish hours. So yeah, I didn't really get to see anyone that I that I knew. <laughs> but <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it was nice. It was nice. Um, and now transition to today, and last couple of days have been all right. Today was a bit of a, uh, in terms of uh, football, today was a bit of a roller coaster um, with the U.S. putting out their roster for the next CONCACAF National Nations League yeah. games. <laughs> out, um, if you've seen, if you may have seen my tweets on Twitter, I was not very happy about this uh, MLS All Stars and Friends um, line uh, roster that was right here. But um, you know, I, I will save that for for when we when we uh, talk during the international break. Um, but anyway, that plus uh, my son Christian Pulisic being left out of the starting eighteen all <laughs> together in Chelsea's Champions League game. Um, yeah, those two things sandwiched with the Chelsea win. It was a very, um, it was very inconsistent in terms of emotions. A, a super conflicted day where uh, I really have to think about where my allegiances are in terms of, in terms of this sport, club, and country. I have to figure this out because I was very happy with the win, but it, it didn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we definitely will uh, will talk some some Champions League in the next podcast coming out early next week. But yeah, it was it was a weird day, both in terms of Champions League stuff and U.S. men's national team. Uh, Rian, if you did not see on his both his personal and uh, the overlap Twitter um, account, kind of went off. Um, so if you haven't got a chance to take a look at it, I would highly recommend that you do. Um, but we are not here to talk any Champions League this week. In fact, we are here to talk a little bit of league play. So, Rian, let's start off with the Arsenal-Manchester United game. That was the big game that we previewed, obviously, with Jay on the previous pod. And that took place on Monday night in the UK, Monday afternoon for here uh, for us here in the US. Um, I'm not going to lie. I really just didn't enjoy this game. Oh, I'll tell you what. I so I missed the original um, this game originally because I was I spent I was uh, spending two hours those two hours while this game was going on. I was working on in uh, Excel and PowerPoint, and I as I texted to you and Jay, uh, I think that might have been almost as entertaining as this match. And when I went back to watch this match on my own, uh, I was just about right for at least the first half. I mean, so I'm now calling this. I mean, this, like we said in the last episode, this used to be the best rivalry in um, England, one of the best ones in Europe, for sure. Uh, but I'm now going to refer to 
these two teams matches together as the member Barry Darby. And for <laughs> for anyone who who might not be um too familiar with member berries. I mean, I don't even know if you might be Elias, but it, 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 not going to lie, I yeah, can't so, say. I so, these are for for my South Park friends who, who watch South Park uh, during last season, the last couple of seasons. You know, member berries have been basically because they do a lot of topical things on on South Park. Um, member berries have, were a side plot, a subplot of the last couple of seasons as they kind of went into, you know, the presidency and um, just, like, nostalgia and stuff. And, and member berries were, were pretty much these little grapes that um, could speak and talk and, and uh, speak and, and move <laughs> and stuff and, and were secretly controlling everything that was going on in the country. And, and member berries were the reason for why uh, people why people were okay with Star Wars being basically a the new Star Wars being a straight remake of the past Star Wars movies and, and why, um, and why, uh, Donald Trump was elected and whatnot. Uh, the member berries would say things like, Oh yeah. Remember the death star? Oh yeah. Yeah. I met, I, I remember, <laughs> remember, remember, remember Chewbacca? Remember the Wookiees? Oh yeah. I remember. And, and then it would go even deeper and deeper. It was like, Oh, remember when there were no immigrants in the country? <laughs> and, so that's so that's the uh, that's the gist of what member berries were, and that's what this derby is now. It's just oh, remember when these two teams were so good, dude? Mem- remember when? Remember Vieira? Remember uh, Roy Keane? Oh, remember man. Thierry Henry? Rude Van Nistelrooy? Remember when these teams were actually fucking good? <laughs> like, and actually, it actually like meant something to the title race. Yeah, it was just shocking quality in this game. I, I mean, you. You can, I'm sure you agree with me. I mean, from teams of or clubs of this caliber, you know, the intensity was there, you know, the pressing and whatnot. You know, obviously, you know that was that was there, and the two finishes were high quality finishes. You have to give credit to McTominay and um, and Aubameyang for the finishes, top top class finishes, but. I'm not taking anything yeah. away from that, but man, I have a lot to yeah, say. Yeah, but, otherwise. But yeah, I'll, and I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Dude. The quali- how, I, I, I can only imagine how you felt because that's just two hours lost. I, at least I like, <laughs> at least I had did something productive during those two hours. That seemed like. <laughs> Yo, all right. So, <laughs> listen, uh, I yeah, this was this was just. Okay, let me start over. This was terrible football from the start to the finish. The fin- like the okay. So the goals themselves, you talked about them, right? They were high quality finishes. McTominay's goal, all those deflected, and you know, Jocka ducked yeah, and everything. Barely deflected. Like, to be to be fair, it was barely deflected. I don't think I don't think uh, Leno would have saved that either way. To be honest. No. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think it was it was goal bound regardless, but. I ultimately look at this game and just think about where these two teams were 10 years ago. And I think to myself, wow, this is exactly what Barcelona is going to look like after Messi retires. (laughs) Because there's no way that like this team is going to live up to anywhere near where like Messi has brought this Barcelona team in the past, what, 15 years. But irrespective of that, this first half, I tuned in 
right before the first shot on goal, which was around the half-hour mark. And apparently before that, it was there – there was nothing. There was just very much back-and-forth ping-pong play pretty much. And I don't really have much commentary to offer on that other than pointing out what the tie – you know, 10 years ago used to be. It used to be Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, two of the top managers in world football up against each other and everyone would be tuned in for 90 minutes. The first 30 minutes of this game, everyone was pretty much talking about the lack of quality. There was no talk about the gameplay. It was just, wow, the the intensity was, I I, I think it was fine. Like I mentioned during the, the podcast on Monday, Man United's midfield, the biggest pro that they have is their intensity and their their work rate and things like that. And they, they showed that, and I think McTominay especially. But outside of that, where's the technical quality? Like, where's where's the, the talent, right? And then I saw Emery wasn't going to start Ceballos, and I was like, all right, I know, all right, this, is, this game isn't going to be good from the start. And it, it, it really just wasn't entertaining. I tried to enjoy it in the second half as well, but... <sighs> No, there, there was there. There's nothing to yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's the perfect. That's a perfect. That's a perfect place to stop off for our, for our first little notes about this game. I mean, what the hell is Emery's strategy with these midfield selections? This is two straight two away matches, right? Two straight away matches. Okay, Let's- you're assuming you're a hundred percent assuming there was a strategy. <laughs> right, right, right. So Liverpool, they go and they play the four man diamond midfield, um, where Ceballos looks. Granted, Sebastian looks a little out of his depth, but you know. They, Did you say Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the for the first for the Liverpool game, they played. It, it was an oh, odd, against oh, okay. against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. They they played they played a very defensive sort of midfield, and Sebastian had to do things that he hadn't done before. Right? I mean, so not not going to get on him too much, but but that was a weird selection in terms of how he set up the midfield, like um, just the shape in that one, and we talked about how how terrible that game plan was, because it gave Liverpool's best attacking, or most creative, basically, basically their most important uh, creative threats, all that space. So he comes back oh, yeah. in this game, and goes with three-man midfield this time, and leaves Ceballos out of it and plays Torreira, Guendouzi, and Jaka. So basically, giving himself, giving them absolutely no link between the midfield and the front three. Um, it was nice to see that they started uh, Bakayo Saka um, up top with uh, Pepe and um, and Aubameyang, of course. Uh, but we had Torreira playing like the number eight. That like every time I've seen Torreira come into the game for Arsenal, it seems like he's doing a lot more box to box stuff than I've seen him be asked to do in the past, and he's not he's not like enough of a goal threat. I mean, not even just that, but also like his he's not a very good dribbler. Um, he's not necessarily like quicker than a lot of guys like one-on-one um his his best quality is that he's he's very tenacious and he can win the ball and stuff right um so he's just a better jocka pretty much <laughs> I, yeah well yeah he's just not the same player he's <laughs> a different player completely at that point <laughs> right but but it's like is there it's i i'm waiting for people to talk about this in the same way that that they shit on sorry for playing conte in that role which actually ended up 
like actually making Conte a better player because now he's just much better at dribbling and, and all that good stuff. Um, but I don't know the whole time that the I, I don't know what I don't understand Emery, man. And and maybe it's not time to have this conversation yet. I want to wait another couple of months. But I think at some point we're going to have to have a conversation of, about Emery and is he actually a good manager? Is he, is he actually a good manager for like teams that have high expectations? I, that's something that I think we'll have to talk to and talk about in the future. I don't want to get uh, muddy down in that right now, but but just in terms of the strategy in this game, I I, I don't understand his. Mid, I don't understand how he sets up the midfield, and. It always starts with the fact that he plays Jaka. <laughs> that, that he starts Jaka every game. <laughs> um, Gunduzi was, I thought, very good again. Gunduzi, a few times, was just totally covering for the for the um, Arsenal's defenses' um, incapabilities. I suppose um, he's he's the only guy on the team on in that midfield at least. I would say he and Aubameyang are the only two players who you could look at. And be like, all right, these are the first two names on the sheet every week. Everyone else, it's a toss up. I, everyone else, a toss up because you have no idea what you're getting from them week to week. Uh, yeah, all right, that, was, that was a mini rant there because I just, I just don't understand. I don't know what Emery's strategy is with this team. Sometimes I just don't understand. Well, it. The, the thing is, like, that's a fair rant, right? Because we haven't seen a consistent strategy out of him. And if you look at the midfield selection, the only thing that I can take away from this game in terms of his choices for the midfield three is that he was reacting to what he thought United strategy would be rather than being proactive and trying to attack them and, and pinpoint their deficiencies. And what I mean by that is that I think that Torreira, Torreira starting this game is a perfect example of that, right? We just talked about how Torreira's best quality is that he's tenacious. He runs after the ball. He's He has high intensity, can press somewhat well positionally. Um, sometimes he just runs like a madman, and that's not always great. But irrespective of that, he, the only way I can see him not starting Ceballos is because he knew that United's midfield could do the same thing but slightly better. And so he would have to start Torreira in order to combat that. But that isn't a good strategy when you're trying to go out to Old Trafford and score goals and when you have a forward line that can certainly put away more goals than, than United's forward line. And, or what I guess whatever is left of their makeshift forward line, right? So my only thinking is that he was playing into what he thought United would do rather than him playing and attacking United based on their weaknesses. And I don't think that's the the message that you want to send as a manager, personally. I think that he is a good manager overall. I think he can certainly get the job done. Like, we, we saw it at Sevilla. Um, not really so much at PSG, but again, it's levels and standards. But if he's given a strong team and he doesn't have to go out and structure it and restructure it and, and try and, you know get new players that he wants or figure it out from there and start pretty much from a foundation. I think he's a decent manager. He just needs all the pieces in front of him practically. Well, I mean, okay. I, I said, no, I, I totally, I do think that's fair. And I do want to say, you know, I, I don't want to get on him too hard about how he's playing Terrera because I, I, as a Chelsea fan, was was pretty upset with that, with how people were talking about uh, the Conte stuff last season because, you know, um, 
at the, at the end of the day, he's a football, uh, he's a football player and, and, and should be able to make easy 10 yard passes and stuff and just be able to do some of the simple stuff. Um, so, so it's possible that, that maybe Torreira becomes very good. Maybe this is all good for Torreira going forward and maybe becomes much better at attacking and, and this becomes more of a, an effective use of him. Um, but to what you're saying in terms of what Emery, Emery needing, Emery needing like a good team around him. I mean, did haven't we heard? Did we hear all summer from Arsenal fans, including our friend, including our friend Jay, who, who said it in the in the first time we had him on the show that L the transfer policy was way different this year. They actually went out and and got things done and got rid of the bad pieces and whatever. And then we come to this point and he's still starting Socrates. He's still starting Jaka every game. I, I don't, I, I, I believe that Rob holding and Cal, Cal Chambers did start in this game at right back. Um, so, I mean, Barry Ren will take over that, that particular position, but you know, Cal Chambers and Rob holding can play center back. Why? And they're and they're back mostly fit now, so I, I mean at some point they he has to start looking at them um, over Socrates. I just I really don't think he's ever going to not start uh, Davies. I think it's going to take a lot to not start Davies. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I, one thing that I found hilarious, hilarious after the, after the Obama angle. After it was confirmed by VAR, right? Um, they all ce- they're all celebrating, whatever. And and just as as the guys are breaking out of the little huddle that they made after celebrating, the two guys who are grabbing everyone and putting their fingers to their heads, telling everyone to concentrate, keep your concentration, are none other than Granite Xhaka and Socrates. <laughs> and I saw- <laughs> <laughs> That is just perfectly typifies this team. The two worst players on this team are the ones who are who are two players that actually have the least concentration. Maybe Dava Louise might be might have something to say about about that. But the, the two guys who, who are the most susceptible to lapses in concentration, yelling at everyone else to keep concentrated, keep your heads right now. It, it's just. It just it just it's the state of this team right now. It's, it's priceless. Leaders, leaders in all the wrong places for, for the most part. Just or at least for those two. Um, obviously, I think Guendouzi is an actual leader. I think he I think he actually is a good leader and and backs it up with his play on the field. But uh, well, whatever. I, you know, one last thing on Arsenal before we move on to United. Um, do we need to have a conversation about Pepe yet? Is it is it too early? I mean, is it too early for me to? It's it's only a couple of months in. I I don't want to be too reactionary because um, I hate I hate that. But you know, it, it's it's a very similar thing with Hazard. Even though they're not the same player, I, you know, I think we would both agree that Eden Hazard is a much better player than than Nicholas Pepe. But um, but in the same sense, record signing. It shouldn't have to take two months for you to start showing that quality. And I don't know, man. Remember, you do you do remember? Do you remember the first his first shot at when he gets played in? I forget who plays the ball into, but he's in a lot of space in the penalty box. Uh, takes a hit and puts it like forty yards over the goal. It puts it literally into the top row. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, like stuff like that. And then and then yeah. and then he gave the ball away very easily. He just looks very frantic on the ball. Um, and not his body doesn't 
ever look like he's in control of what he's doing. And I, and I think it, I think he has to. I think a part of it is obviously getting used to the league. He doesn't have as much time on the ball here as he did in France. So like that stuff, looking frantic on it, and like never actually. I mean, a lot of times now it's very hard to tell what he if he knows what he's going to be doing with the ball. Um, even though he is, I think he's a, a pretty good passer, um, and we know he's a good finisher. But you know, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Am I am I am I too reactionary right now? I I think a little bit. It, it has been like yeah, like realistically, it's been a little over a month. It hasn't been two months, right? So it's been like seven weeks, and so I'm very hesitant to say that we should be worrying about him just because we know that he is a quality player and he's shown flashes of that. And for any player, it takes time to adapt to to a, a new league, let alone a new team, right? And so. I would honestly wait like two more months before even saying this is, you know, boom or bust because, and I'll get to this during the La Liga section. There's also a case to be made about Hazard and we'll talk about that later, but yeah, I would, I would genuinely give him some time, but you know, what is fun, fun fact, guess how old Nicholas Pepe is. Um, 23. Close. He's 24. Okay. But guess guess how old Serge Gnabry is? Oh my gosh, he's 24, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're both 24, and I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's all the Arsenal stuff I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We'll, we'll do just quick stop of there. We we would both agree that Serge Gnabry is. Absolutely a better player than Nicola Pepe, right? Like, right, right. That's that's my point. Like, Serge Gnabry is what the second best player on on Bayern Munich, right behind Lewandowski, and Klopp. Mm, sure, sure, well, subjectively, but sure. Well, wait, you do not. You don't, do you do you think he's better than Lewandowski? No, no. I'm just saying that I think Thiago has a shout for being slightly better. But I I, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay, but I mean, yeah, that's a fair shout. But anyway, right, one of the two or three best players on on Bayern Munich, and probably, probably Germany's for second best player, maybe maybe behind Royce. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and this man couldn't get a game under Tony Pulis. <laughs> I mean, if, if anything, that should actually be a positive that Tony Poulos at West Brom was not playing him when he was on loan there. Uh, so I don't know. Don't ever not not don't want to get too caught in that, but but that is a fair thing to bring up, you know, the that is something that is probably gonna get asked in let's say what, two months if if, if uh Pepe is not showing much more improvement. Um that's something that's gonna get asked is that's something that's gonna be brought up a lot is uh, Pepe versus Gnabry. And I mean like like you said I think we both agree that he's absolutely a better player than Nicola Pepe. He's even before this season you would you probably could have made that argument, right? So Right, right. I don't necessarily disagree with you there and I see your point you're making, but I'd give Pepe some more time and then we'll have that conversation let's let's say a month or two. Okay, I'm I'm penciling it in. I'll remind you. <laughs> um, go for it. <laughs> all right, so on, on to United on to United side. Um Yikes! What the? I mean, what are we, what are <laughs> did we, you say we, yikes? I'm just, I'm just, dude. I'm just so. These teams are. These two teams are tiring me out, man. I expect so much more. 
what are Soskar's Soskar's tactics out of outside of just counterattack? <laughs> like outside of just as soon as we get the ball, everyone run for it. I don't know. What, what are the tactics? They, they have. Granted, he doesn't have a lot to work with in terms of midfield creativity, but even with Pogba back, Pogba did nothing <laughs> again. Like, <I> don't, <laughs> this this team is tiring, and I'm not even a fan of them. <laughs> well, okay, so two things on that. One, you said, right? I'm you know I'm shocked by you know just the quality of this, but wh- like, what else did you expect? Like, these two teams are not good. They're not good teams. You said it yourself. They haven't challenged for the title in years. The last time that they got close was when United finished second, right? But it, it, they're not like good teams. It was like a fake second, too. Exactly. Exactly. It was barely second. And, like, we shouldn't really expect much more out of any of these two teams. Second of all, what is what is Olegana Soshkar's, like, tactics? Like, that's a genuine question because I didn't see any specific tactical setup in the midfield especially that would warrant me saying oh you know I see what he's trying to do here the only thing that I can see is let McTominay run as much as he can put Pogba in an advanced position when he can I guess get the ball there himself um and then uh play in an amazing Greenwood or uh whatever Jesse Lundberg is now yeah oh my god okay yeah you trivia without looking up looking anything up Give me your guess okay. on how old Jesse Lingard is. Twenty six. I know. I know that one. I, I know he is because I looked it up the other day and I was shocked. Fucking believe that Jesse Lingard is twenty six. <laughs> it's he's he's done. If he like, he's done already. Like he's twenty six, <laughs> and, and I mean he's not getting. He's not being. Uh, he's not getting any help by Solskjaer playing him as a number ten for God knows why. What the hell is that? Why is Jesse Lingard being played right in behind the striker when he has shown nothing in his career that he has any qualities of a number 10? Like, I don't I, – that baffles me completely. Um, because where else do you play him? <laughs> like, there's no other natural position for him, I guess. I mean, I would think winger. Like, like he does have pace. And, I mean, that, that's re- I think that's literally the only place you could play him is on the wing. I mean, he doesn't have the quality to, to start for Manchester United, but he should be on the wing. Like he shouldn't be playing your number ten, dude, because he's not—he's not creating any chances for Rashford or or Greenwood when they bring him in, or Linga or uh, Martial when he comes in. Like just everywhere, dude. It's—it's it's just—it's—it's a—it's shambolic outside of, outside of their back line, which which actually is decent outside. You know, obviously the goal was just a massive mistake by uh, Twanzibi, but their back line is actually all right. They they actually legitimately have a good back line. It is that is not remotely the problem with this team. Uh, I would agree. They have a fine center back pairing. I think their fullbacks are meh. right. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, but, but, I, but I, I get what you're going for. But I think injuries. I mean, Juan Bissaka was injured in this game, um, and Luke Shaw is still injured. So you know they have to play like Ashley Young, and, and so Jesus. yeah, they have to play Ashley Young, and they have to play Twanzibi as as I think uh, I think he played on the left or right back, one of the two. That's not his natural position either, I believe. So yeah. Well, I honestly, at the end of the day, I, like I said, United for me are not finishing the top six. I don't expect anything from them. It's a shame where we've seen this club go in the last about six years, but they just need to get their act together at at, at a higher level to to even consider just challenging for for anything. And 
I hate to say this, but I feel as though some of the players that are there are wasting their careers there right now um, because for some United. Of them, for yeah, for United. And I think, I, I think saying, some of them are. <laughs> I think this is the fucking peak of their careers for most of these players. Honestly, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's actually a good point. Daniel Jones was on his way to Leeds United in January, and somehow ended yeah. up at Manchester United in the summer. This <laughs> is this is like borderline make a wish for him. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and I don't want to offend anyone out there, but but I mean, come on, seriously. And, and, and he's genuinely probably one of their three best players. Like, like he doesn't start on any other top six team. I actually think he'd be a very good like rotational ringer for all the other top six. But come on, dude. He's, <laughs> he was about to go to Leeds in January. I, I can't thought, believe you went with borderline make a wish. <laughs> I mean, Ashley Young is still getting paid six easily six figures a week by by Manchester United <laughs> when he should basically he's no better than basically Fabian Delph who's at Everton now. Um, who else? You went with make a wish. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me finish here. Let me finish here. Matic is still getting paid. Matic hasn't been able to run over ten miles per hour in two years, at least. Uh, <laughs> Lingard, obviously, we, obviously, we know Lingard. Lingard is going to be a transcendent signing for Bournemouth next summer. Uh, <laughs> and and like, I don't even know who else. Who else here? Andres Pereira. Oh my gosh, that dude. I didn't even know he was Brazilian. That man, I don't know if he's had any caps for Brazil, but he is never going to get – he's never going to start for Brazil. That is a positive. That's, that's 100%. He will never start for Brazil. I, no, unless there are significant injuries. Yeah. I mean, yeah, unless literally every winger somehow gets nationalized by Spain or somewhere else. So. Yeah, truly. Um, I, <laughs> I am absolutely – Still dying over here, <laughs> but I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying about United. I think I think your point has been made, and I think people have understood my point as well. So uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, and answer the next couple of questions that we have on the agenda um, about the other teams in the uh, in the top six? Because all the other teams picked up three points, other than uh, Arsenal and United. That is true, yeah. Um, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, all, Tottenham all pick up three points in differing uh, uh, ways, um, differing levels of confidence about their wins, obviously. Um, so let's, uh, I guess we'll start with Liverpool's 1 0 away to Sheffield United. Again, not close to their best, but uh, so we got the three points on a. Just horrendous goalkeeping error from uh, from Sheffield United's Drew Henderson, who's apparently on loan from Manchester United. So that should tell you everything. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but um, seriously, I, again, I this is this is either one or two things. These last couple of weeks for Liverpool either show that this really is their year and they'll win the Premier League. Um, or I don't know, should their future, should their future opponents be encouraged by how they've played the last few weeks, start, especially starting with losing to Napoli away, um, just 
being able to escape Stanford Bridge with the draw, uh, then move that on to. I guess they. I mean, Capital One Cup. No, I mean, sorry, Carabao Cup. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Can't mean, right. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, they they won that easily. But and then uh, what was the next game was this one, one nil away, and then you know obviously we saw today in the Champions League they just barely got away from Jesse American manager Jesse Marsh's um, Salzburg. That'll be a good one to talk about next week. Um, but I don't know. Should, should the future opponents be encouraged by how Liverpool's few matches have gone I, I my the one thing that i feel like i've noticed i think teams will take a very large amount of um confidence in terms of i think teams are realizing more if you can close down their fullbacks if you just as soon as they touch it like as soon as robertson and alexander arnold got the ball they were pressing them and not allowing them any space ahem my Emery, just literally the opposite of what he did against them. Um, they were not giving their fullbacks any space and cutting out all service to Firmino. I think if you can do that, you will give yourself a very good chance of limiting at least the chances. I mean, there's so much quality in their front three that obviously in any given moment they can do something special and, and score. And, and there's nothing you can't game plan for that. But um, yeah, but yeah, teams are doing that, and then. Everyone is attacking Alexander Arnold's side now. Now that that's just a staple of going against Liverpool. Now teams have been doing that now for the last two weeks, at least since the international break, um, and finding a lot of joy there. I, I don't. They obviously that's something they're going to have to look at and, and figure out because that that's just been happening a lot lately. Um, but I, what, what are your thoughts? Should opponents be encouraged should man city be encouraged or is it just a case of you know you can't dominate every week you can't dominate two to three weeks in a row there's not going to be they're going to have stretches where you're not playing at your best and whatnot and and this just shows how champions play maybe i mean the one way that i would say that i would be encouraged or want to be encouraged is by looking at their performances in the context of last season I would be encouraged if I saw growth or at least stability or some semblance of of a team that wasn't regressing in any way. But I'm a little concerned, especially about their midfield. Um, I think that the reason why they've been getting results, regardless of their performances, has been because their front three is so strong and they can actually put together goals regardless of almost how, how they're doing um, in that sense that's one of their their biggest strengths right now because they are able to get a win irrespective of well how how they're playing pretty much um, so in that sense yeah I, I think they're fine but where I would worry is that the midfield three or out of the midfield three I think Fabinho has honestly only been their their good player. Um, in terms of performances compared from compared to last season, and so I would want to see a midfield that's able to actually play through other teams because we haven't seen it to the level that we know that they're capable of. Like going from play that starts at the back with with Allison or Virgil going out wide, coming back inside, and going out wide again to to either two of Mane or Salah. And we saw those quick transitions and things like that last year, but I don't know. I, I feel like we haven't seen that as much this this past year. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and it's something that we touched on that we've been talking about, really, um, that their midfield, their midfield three doesn't have much quality in terms of creating chances for other players. Definitely, that's not any of their strong suits. Um, I don't think Fabinho should be asked to do that. That's not his. He, he's. He, I think he's doing his role perfectly. Um, but then you have Wijnaldum and Henderson on the other side of him, who are, I mean, very similar players, um, and neither of them are like chance creators for everyone else. I mean, they just kind of give you. They, they, they're just very. They're good at what. Um, Klopp wants him to do, obviously with pressing or not. But you know, I, I, I'm some, somewhat. I don't even want to say concerned, but let's, you know, like not ears, encouraged. Yeah, maybe. ears perked up just a little bit. Ears perked up about how they're about how they've played and how people have played in the last couple of weeks. I think going forward, people should be encouraged by this stuff. I, I think they're. I think the next month or so is going to be a massive test for them because I think teams are realizing how to play against this team. So, you know, that's, that's where, that's where having a great manager helps because he's got a, Klopp's going to have to adapt to how they're playing, how teams are playing him. Um, and you know, I, I, I've trusted him, but if you're not going to get a lot of quality from your, if you're not going to get a lot of quality in terms of a uh, chance creation from your midfield three teams are going to, sit in pretty deep and, and just not allow you to play those passes into Firmino. Um, so we shall see. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think I'm very interested to see how, especially in the knockout rounds of the Champions League, assuming they get there, obviously, like I'm very interested to see what one-off games are like because if they put in this performance or these type of performances against bigger and better opposition in Europe – then it becomes a little bit harder to say, oh, you know, they can go farther in, in Europe, let alone, you know, the Premier League. So consistency is key. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you saw in this game, too, Sheffield had many ch- had chances to draw this game to take the lead before before the big error from um, from Henderson. So, I mean, and we're seeing it in the Champions League. They're getting punished for for teams employing these tactics. Um, to teams in other teams in Europe are now employing these tactics, and they're going to punish them more than you know Brighton will on, on any given um, uh, match day, right? So, so that that is a concern for them, especially in, definitely in Europe. Uh, yeah, but w- with that, let's move on to uh, Manchester City here. Three-one uh, away to Everton. The defense is still looking quite unconvincing. Um, Ever- I mean, it's fair. Yeah, I mean, no, no, definitely. I mean, they're missing their best defender, so it's not something that uh, totally unexpected. But you know, Everton had uh, eight shots on goal, the most shots on target against City since 2015. Since Manuel Pellegrini was a coach. Um, wow, that's a TBT. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we? What are we thinking about this Fernandinho replacement? He he's now. I think Stone Stones is still injured. Correct. Stone Stones will maybe back right. after the international break, possibly. Um, but I mean, I think either way, he was going to try Fernandinho in center back at the at the center back position. Do we think that'll be enough uh, while Laporte is out? 
no, dude. <laughs> like, like they need a center back. This is this isn't like a negotiation. We're like, oh, I think Fernandinho can do it for four I, weeks. I mean, like, I mean, no, Pep did play Yaya Torre at center back for a while at Barcelona. So I don't know. Yes, yeah, sweet. And I wasn't happy about it, but like, <laughs> we need an actual center back. Not we, but they, for that matter, right. need a center back. Like, right. it's not like they can go on without Laporte for the rest of the season and be like, oh yeah, we're gonna win the Champions League this way. Like, no, you're gonna you're gonna get knocked out because someone like a messy or like a Benzema is gonna meet you guys and be like, oh, you don't, oh, you don't have a center back. Oh, okay, so we'll just play like a four-one-four-one and then call it a day <laughs> or something like that. You know, but moral of the story is like, you, yeah, you need a center back. Like they need, they need a reinforcement for their center backs. Period. Not negotiation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, we saw another wonderful match from their attackers. The Assist on on um, on Jesus's goal from uh, Jesus's goal from De Bruyne was just obviously world class. It's just every time he gets into that position, I, I was watching that game live. As soon as he got into that I position, think the, uh, and it, the clinical term is a uh, fuego. Fuego. Yes, I agree. Totally agree. I mean, as soon as he got into that position, as soon as the ball was played to him, it was like. Right before he took, I was like, "Oh, he's I was like." I was like, "Oh, he's gonna play this in. He's definitely playing this one in." And it was just perfect. <laughs> it was just perfect. He's he's amazing to watch. Um, just amazing to watch. No, I lo- I mean, who doesn't love Kevin Bruyne? Um, it's a shame he is. I know he's kind of injured. I don't know what he's dealing with right now. Um, but he's not a hundred percent. So obviously, you hope that he gets back to his his very best because when he is at his best, man, it's. It's fun to watch, just as long as it's not against a team that you support. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and obviously we'll have to give a quick shout-out to, to Riyad Mahrez, who was awesome during that game, too. Um, I think he's he's really grown into this team this season. Um, I think he's had he was with them last season. I, he felt like a little surplus of requirements last season, but I, but I think he, he's um, really grown into, I guess, what Pep wants him to do and stuff. And he, he adds a, a different factor because he's left-footed, too. So shout-out to him. He's, he's been very good to start the season. Um, now on to slightly more serious note. I know we don't get into this very much, but uh, we have to talk about the Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy incident. Um, as most oh Bernardo, <laughs> as as most people would probably know, most people probably listening to this would definitely uh, know about this incident. Um, you know Bernardo Silva putting up that picture of um. A young Benjamin Mendy and a uh, Conguitos, which is a Spanish can- candy um, mascot <laughs> uh, picture, and, and saying I think something along the lines of uh, what was it? Was it like look familiar or who, who um, look like something like that? Um, and yeah, and then from there the it was just went way downhill from there. Obviously people reacted to it. Not well. And uh, Silva saying people can't take a joke. And then oh, we move on to what Pep's had to say. Pep talking, saying that Bernardo's one of the most basically justified, you know, when asked about this saying Bernardo's one of the most lovely people he's ever met. He speaks four or five languages, which he says is the, that is the best way to understand how open-minded he is. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, saying he's best friends with Mendy and all that stuff. And, um, you know, going on to say the, the image is, it's not about the color of the skin. He took a picture related to the cartoon saying it was actually quite similar for the images is what, um, Pep says, um, 
And then, I mean, you know, and then it goes on and on. And, and Sterling, Ryan Sterling, who has been a massive advocate for stomping out racism in, in soccer. So his comments were slightly disappointing as well. Um, saying if someone refers to our skin color with an image, we can't be upset about it. Um, and, and, you know, obviously he went on to say, you know, he, he understands where the criticism was coming from. Um, but he believed it wasn't intentional by, uh, Silva. And, you know, I, I think both of us would agree that I don't think either of us think Bernardo Silva is racist, right? I don't think he's racist at all. Um, I certainly don't think that knowing four or five languages has anything to do with being open-minded, but, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I highly advise people to go on to YouTube. I, I, I made Elias watch it before we started this podcast and just look up Conguito's advert and look and watch the first video on it. Elias, can you, before we, we get into a little bit more of this, can, explain the, the advertisement that I sent to you. Dude, I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know what I watched. Like, I genuinely don't. Like, if you ask me to explain it, I'm going to be like, it was a, a line of grapes. Grapes? Chocolates? Like, well, I'm assuming chocolates, cho- actually. It's supposed to be chocolates, but they're obviously, like, native, <laughs> like, African, like, like native African, like, children. <laughs> like, and, yeah, being being picked up and, being picked and by like, a eaten. white hand. You don't even see them being being eaten. You just see them getting picked by a a very pale hand being picked out, and they all have spears and stuff. And like, and great, it's a it's a pretty old advertisement. I think it may, probably like I think it's like twenty or thirty years old. But um, you know, I went down a rabbit hole of looking at at more of these advertisements. Even through the nineties, they were just pretty bad. And and I, and I think the overarching question here is like. Was this situation handled correctly on both sides? Um, you know, Bernardo Silva got charged by the FA, um, I believe it was yesterday, uh, the FA alleging that Silva's tweet, which compared Mendy to the character of packets on Cuanguito's chocolates, brought the game into disrespute and that the Portugal International's post constituted an aggravated breach of its rule on social media behavior because it's appeared to reference the French's left, the French left backs race, which you know it's hard to um <laughs> to deny that but i guess uh, i'll start off on on whether the situation is being handled correctly i d- believe that the fa is doing or is doing the right thing i don't think that i think it would be harsh to suspend him i think it would be a little harsh to suspend him for it. i, I feel like there's something that needs to be handled more internally and that's probably what disappoints me the most is that I don't think it's being handled, I don't think it was handled correctly by almost anyone in Manchester City my my problem with what happened was not necessarily the picture, obviously that was pretty bad but, but that was very bad <laughs> um, but there's a couple things for me the first you know What's I mean one? What's the fun of putting an inside joke on on Twitter like on like public social media? Like, no one's first of all, no one's gonna understand it. Like and it just it's it's not funny if you put like some, an inside joke into a joke that literally like two people will understand him and Mendy and putting it out for all his <laughs> followers. So one that's that's my first thing with it. What's the point? And uh, and two like obviously. The awareness, like everyone, just kept missing the boat of like understanding what the outrage was. Dude, it like 
no one thinks that he's racist. It's just I just wanted someone to come out and say something along at least at least Sterling said I can understand where the criticism has come. Pep uh did not understand it at all, obviously. Um and Brown Silva didn't understand it at all. I think he has uh, uh, formally apologized in in uh, response to the FA charge, but th- th- my problem is that no one was acknowledging like the history of the of the picture. No one's acknowledging like just the connotations that come with that image. Um, it, it, the, the advertisement was basically a comedic representation of colonization. <laughs> it was literally just a pale white hair <laughs> pulling young black children. <laughs> chocolates if if they want to spin it that way you can spin it however you want but pulling them away uh, with what looked like they were being led by like a parent and all these little children get all pulled away and stuff and like it it just no one no one really acknowledged that there was at least something wrong with it i don't need like a full-out apology i don't i i'm not a massive fan of people apologizing for every little thing but like in this in this is it's just just an acknowledgement that Okay, I can see how people got upset about this. Um, this wasn't my intention at all. If that was just said, like as soon as it was done, this would be all over. He wouldn't even gotten charged. We would have. This would have been so done and dusted. Um, all right, I, I'm I'm done with my side of it. Um, obviously, Ellis, if you have any thoughts, I mean, my thoughts are pretty similar, right? Like the the picture itself was bad, but not because it was Bernardo Silva tweeting about Mendy. It was it was the context of the actual image that was bad, and I think that a lot of people are like you said missing that point. Like it's like it's an inside joke, and obviously Mendy's fine with it. No, like no one cares about that. But I think for you and I, right? Like when you look at that, and then you look at what the ad actually represents, it's a really really bad connotation, right? Like think of it this way: like if take a company in the U.S. Take an ad that they put on, right? And someone's like, I forget if it was L'Oreal or something, something to do with makeup, like a couple years back. Do you remember when they did like a whole ad on like this black woman that like washed her face or something with some soap and became this white woman? Everyone was like, yeah, uh, yeah, what? yeah. You know what yeah, I'm talking exactly. about? So imagine if, imagine if like, uh, I don't know, like take a, like an NFL quarterback, right? Take Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying, you know what I mean? I'm just saying like, to, for example, right? Take someone like him and he tweets out something like that about saying, you know, does this look like so-and-so? Then you're kind of like, wait, like you, you put two and two together, but I don't think anyone has fully done that in this situation. Um, and I, so I think that's where the trouble lies. And I think that's where the concern and this sort of idea of ignorance comes about. And I don't want to harp on this too much, but I think people need to realize why it actually was significant. It wasn't significant about the inside joke. It was just significant about the connotation that you're conveying when you put up or say something like that. So I'll leave it at that. That's just my two cents. Yeah, yeah, and and just and just my last thing. Like when when he does when like Silva does something like that or anyone does something like that like publicly like I'm sure he and Mendy like joke about it together and stuff. But when you something that that like was brought up on. Um, like the Guardians podcast, um, they brought up and I forget the name of the player that the, the African 
well, sorry, African, uh, African English. Well, I don't even know how the hell that's. Uh, I guess African English, <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Uh, the English version. You're, of, you're right. I'm trying to say. I was going to say African American, but obviously not African American. African English, I guess. Um, player that they had, uh, former player, um, and he talked about like he even talked about like yeah, I had joke. I had like I had teammates and stuff where you know that I was more comfortable with them making so, like similar jokes like that and stuff like when we're in the locker room and then just like talking with each other and stuff but as soon as you make it public it's impossible for like Mendy or any or your or that um player to to come out and defend you it's impossible you make it you put them in you put your teammate or friend whoever in an impossible situation like it's impossible to, to defend um when the when you put it out in public like that, it's just you, the, the awareness just has to be there. You know, um, yeah. I, I would just I would just liken it to like imagine if imagine if it was like a post match. Um, you know how they always do those post match little press conferences with the players and stuff right after the game, and and like imagine if if Mendy had like got man of the match or something, and and. Um, Silva came in with like a figurine, a Congrito figurine, <laughs> like during the, that, and like, and, like and, like gave it to him or something like that. Like that would be fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like that, it's like that kind of level. Like, that's like, why are you doing that? That's just stupid. But so you know, where I'm sure I'm sure he'll learn from it. Again, I don't think any of us believe that Bruno Silva is a is a uh, malicious person at all. And and and, and, no, even, and, no. and Sterling said that that it was tough to see. Um, Bruno Silva was took it very very um he was pretty down about you know what ha- about you know the reaction and stuff to him felt very bad about it so, so um yeah it's just it's obviously something that you hope that he learns from i i hope that pep learns from it too because pep did not respond to it well at all but um you know, we'll see and and again you know it's just, it's just a learning thing it's just a learning thing not don't want to demonize anyone here um for sure uh so let's move on to to Tottenham, um, we'll have a lot to say about them next week in our Champions League review. But um, you know, well done to get to get a win against two uh, one at home to Southampton. Well done to win after going down to ten men. But you know, as we saw yesterday at home to Bayern Munich, the stench on this team is not going away just just because <laughs> you won against Southampton with ten men. <laughs> like, just because you went down to ten men and won against Southampton does not mean that the stench on your team is going to just go away that easily. So. I guess that's all my thoughts on on that game for the most part. You know, they did well to to go out and win that game, and and um, for the more or less um, keep Southampton from drawing. Uh, Lewis was great in the second half, especially after trying to do a Cruyff turn in his own six yard box. I have that is just unreal. Um, he basically, I guess, he thought he was playing in the World Cup final again and made the same mistake. <laughs> Yeah, so um, this team sucks. Uh, that's my analysis on this. I quite frankly don't have anything to add. Maybe maybe this is a recency effect based on the Byron game, but yeah, um, this team isn't great right now, and it has a lot of problems. But stay tuned for next week's podcast when I just rail into this team. Yeah, yeah, we'll have much more to say. Um, so uh, let's move. Let's move. Let's end on a happy note for Premier League here. Um, at least happy for me. Uh, Chelsea getting a 2-0, a 2-0 um, win against Brighton at home. Uh, they pick up their first Premier League win under Frank Lampard. First home Premier League win under Frank Lampard. Um, dominated the game throughout. Um, they should have scored probably four or five 
they they had 17 shots in the first half and had zero goals. <laughs> Just wonderful, wonderful to watch. Hit the post again in the first half. Post FC is undefeated. Uh, Back and better than ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they arrived in the Champions League today, too, hitting the post once again. But um, obviously the, the big talk around the team is... Uh, my son, Christian Pulisic, you know, I mean, before, just before we touch on him, I, I do want to say that since the international break, Chelsea have been growing in confidence and, and seeing like they've been understanding more how Lampard wants them to play. Great. They still seem to have no idea how zonal marking actually works. So that will keep being a problem. But, um, on to Pulisic, my condolences to him. He's, Ah, what what do we make about the start to his Chelsea career? I mean, he he played in the first game. He played in the first game against United, and then started. Um, I believe he started against. He started in the second game too, I believe yep. against Leicester, yep. and then started again against Norwich in the game they won. And then, basically, as guys have kept coming back from injuries, he's been getting pushed more and more out of the team, and. Uh, what, what do we make of the start to our to this to the as as he's known on Twitter, baby Jesus's um, career at, at Chelsea? <laughs> I think this is the perfect example of someone who wasn't signed by the current manager, right? Sorry, brought him in and was like, well, I want this player because I think he'd be great for the wing position that we need. Obviously, more youth at um, because William and Pedro are not getting any younger, and then sorry left, and then. Pulisic was the loser in that situation. Granted, I think Lampard is doing decently well at Chelsea. I think he has him playing well. But right now, I think just Pulisic is a product of Lampard trying to figure things out. It's really not great for his confidence right now, and I don't think anyone should be happy with it. But yeah, I'm, it just sucks to see, to see him suffer like this because I think he is a really, really good player. And at the end of the day he's just going to have to deal with it and try and get himself into the team by challenging whoever's in front of him. Cause right now I think it's what it's Callum Hudson, a right? That's pretty much in front of him now that he's back. Uh, no, it's like, it's like a Pedro and William pretty much. And, and even, even Mount who sometimes plays on the well, way. Mount, Mount shouldn't play on the way. That's a different it, story. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once, once I think once, uh, Hudson Adoy is back fully fit, I, I think we'll be seeing, far far less of mount on the wing um he's serviceable there but it's not his position he shouldn't really be playing there exactly exactly so i think that with time we will probably see a couple more appearances here and there but it's just not it's not a great start for him um but i'd give it a couple more weeks before i start getting really worried yeah so this is i mean obviously as a chelsea fan and uh a u.s a u.s soccer fan here this is as I said at the top of this episode, very conflicting times here. Uh, at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, nothing is promise. Dude. Nothing is promise. And people will be upset. And so people are upset, obviously. As, and and that's, I mean, that's a good thing for you, for soccer in the U.S., that people are upset that he's not playing. That's a good thing for, for the sport. Um, and people should be upset, I, I think. But... You know those same people that might be upset. I you know. Did you watch the last year at Dortmund? His last season at Dortmund, he he wasn't playing either because Sancho was just better than him, and and they played the same position. So, you know, this is this is a 
big test for him. He's got to he's got to work through this. You know, he has the quality to work through this. He's just he's just got to keep at it. He's just got to keep the right mentality. I mean, that's the thing that basically separates separates the very good players. It's just having the mentality to keep going. And granted, yes, you know, um, he said that Lampard hasn't told him specifically what he can do to get into the team, but. You know, that's not really Frank Lampard's job, and there isn't anything specific they can do to get in the team. I think just about any just realistic Chelsea fan who might be American as well will tell you that Hudson Adoy is a better player than Christian Pulisic. He just is. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's better. He's a better player. Um, well, I mean, I, I, personally don't think Pedro right now is a better player than Christian Pulisic. I would say they are about on the same level, but um, obviously Pedro's going to get the nod because he has more experience and stuff. And, and Christian just has to keep working at it because there are so many games. They're going to play so many games this season. He's going to get chances and he just has to capitalize on them. It's, it's that simple. Like he played 90 minutes against, um, Grimsby, Grimsby Town, um, in the in the League Cup, he got he got an assist in that game, but you know he didn't necessarily look like one of the best players on the on the field, and and you know he's gonna have to just impress in those games. That's all he can do, and and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize Lampard for not playing him or even not starting him because I can't necessarily say that that that, that it's totally unwarranted. So. You know, I, I think I think he'll get through this. Um, I have a lot. We have a lot of faith in him. He's he's the best player we've ever had in U.S. soccer, and I think he's gonna get through this. He just he's got to adapt more to the league. I, I think he's not quite ready to start every week in the Premier League. I don't think he's strong enough yet. I don't I don't think he's used to the physicality quite yet. He's a very small guy, so um, something that we that we think I think he'll get used to. I I, I have faith that he'll as the season grows on and. As the team plays more games and uh, they're in three or four competitions, that they'll that he'll get more chances, and he's just going to have to impress on them. He's going to have to impress in the chances he gets and impress in training, and that's how he gets back into the team. That's it's just simple as that. Yeah, I'm just going to wrap that up with a with a retweet <laughs> because I agree with everything you said. I literally have nothing more to add. You're the expert on that, and I fully agree. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and I guess that this, that's where we'll end our, our part one here. Um, it's when we come back. We'll after our little break. We'll, after we come back, we're gonna look at an interesting weekend in La Liga, and and we're gonna get to more than just the the big three. Mm-hmm. 